<clears throat> Don't you love that? <laughs> oh my god, if I could just get the phlegm out of my head, I'd be in a good position. But, you know, that's what happens when you go to Los Angeles, California. Live from Los Angeles, California, it's <laughs> The Fabulous D Show with me, the artist D, right now. So I took a trip, as I was telling you earlier, I believe, that I was telling you that I was going on a trip, and it was a fabulous trip, no doubt, no doubt about it. Long and harrowing journey. <clears throat> if I could just get the phlegm, I'm telling you. It's, it's a strange thing. Of course, I went to Los Angeles, and I got sick for the first time in... I don't know, and I'm drinking tea, trying to get the the chutzpah out of my brain. It's like I'm really sick, and I haven't been sick in a long time. And you know, everyone always says, "Oh, oh, you poor thing," and you know, you can't you can't get sick and whatnot. But I'm quite happy about it. I mean, I, I've always been, and this sounds pro perhaps one of the more psychotic things I've ever ever said on air, but I kind of um, like being sick, kind of. And I've always, even since I was a child, I always said, as long as I live through it and I wake up in a couple of days and I'm, I'm happy and healthy and, and feel fine. <laughs> There's a song. You know, as long as that happens to me, I'm okay. I'm really quite happy for the rest. <laughs> and isn't that psychotic? Isn't that a sick uh, uh, statement for, for the American life, the American culture, the, the, that of which we live in today? That for a break, for a vacation, for a real vacation, where I just... Oh, here they come. Here, they're coming to save me. Do you hear that? The sirens in the background coming to get me. My knights in shining pickup truck. Mm. But isn't it sick that we get sick and that's the only time we get a vacation? Because you could say, I just took a vacation to Los Angeles, California. But what in the world is a vacation about Los Angeles, California? What is there to, to vacate to in Los Angeles when you're the artist D, going out for 4Culture magazine, 4Culture.com, with photo shoots 
and and things to do, you know, uh, art galleries to visit, artists to visit, friends to visit, photo shoots to have. I mean, what of that? And the traffic, what of it is a vacation? So, of course, the vacation is not a vacation. I don't know when a vacation was a vacation. Even for the average American lifer, they they go out for a vacation and they come back and they need a vacation. That's the way. And the only way we ever get to sit on the couch under six blankets with some tea watching The Walking Dead is when we're sick. At least for me. I don't know about you. And I know most people don't get that opportunity. So I keep drinking the tea because I've got this the the mucus remains <laughs> i know you want to hear this the mucus remains at the top of my head and it's kind of like when i'm speaking and perhaps because i i speak a bit nasally it's affecting the the, the that mucus and it's catching it's it's catching me up if if i may oh. so i got my vacation And I enjoyed it because I got sick and I felt like crap and my nose ran for four days. And, and after those four days, I felt better and I took off those days of my life. I I didn't do a show. I didn't do, um, anything. I just sat around. The Walking Dead was on Netflix the next season, which is the last season. For those of you currently watching this season. The only television I'll ever talk about is, is very good television. And The Walking Dead, it, it kind of it fulfills an obsession of mine. Because I'm not just obsessed with these zombie movies, per se. No, I, I'm obsessed with that entire... I mean, it, it psychologically connects for me because, like, most of the population is gone um, the entire structure of the modern world is dilapidated. And all you've got left are empty buildings and brainless, brain-eating zombies. And your only, your only purpose is to roam the planet defending yourself and... I don't know why. I'm sure, you know, it's not it's not glamorous. <laughs> no. No, it's not glamorous at all. It's probably quite upsetting to do so, as they show you in all of these movies, but I just really dislike people and I dislike the masses doing nothing. I mean, we're dealing with a zombie epidemic on our hands right now. It's out there. It's it's everywhere. Zombies, because they're the walking, walking living. The, the dead are walking, but they're not dead. But they might as well be, because all they're doing is they're getting up in the morning and they're going to bed at night. And everything in between is like this meatless taco. It's horrendous, repugnant. I would roll my R, but there'd be even more phlegm. Cannot deal 
with that, okay? I cannot deal with the, the zombies that we have now. But at least in The Walking Dead and, and zombie movies, the zombies are zombies. I mean, that makes it a little better. When you can say, yes, these are zombies and, and we, have to, we have to put an axe through their brains, the brains that are no longer there. But were they ever really? <clears throat> I don't know. But that's really my dream come true. And so the Walking Dead television show really, really responds to that psychological urge because it's, it's ongoing. You know, I watch these two-hour zombie flicks and it's like, um, that's nice, but I wish there was more. Well, now what are we? Season four? Season five? I think four? like 13 to to 20 45 minute episodes of the earth in complete desolation and just trying to get by with with the infrastructure gone i mean i don't promote uh, the anarchy that would have to happen for that to happen but if it were to happen if we got to that place where it was totally, you know, we just lost all technology and we were fending for ourselves and that was it. I don't know, that would be very exciting because that would be it. <laughs> that would be all. That's it, that's all. You're, you're done. You've got to move on. You've got, you know how the world will end because this is the end of the world. For you, at least, I would say. It's the end. And that's not a bad thing. Well, it's a bad thing for most people. And Los Angeles, California, has hordes of people. Hordes of people. Now, I'm not new to that rodeo. I moved out to the California West Coast almost over 10 years ago and settled down in a lovely little hamlet that you may have heard of called San Diego, California. And when I lived in San Diego, California, of course, I was a very young pup. And I was out and about all the time. I was extremely, how do we put it uh, nicely, um, fabulously inebriated, inebriated for most of the time. And um, let's say my liver was, was a real trooper back in the da day. It was good times. And I didn't stay there too long because the cash ran out, as you should read in my book, In Bed With Myself. Um, but I, I took a few trips to L.A. I was roaming about Hollywood. And I really liked it. And really... After I moved from San Diego and, and came a little more eastward, I, I didn't go back much. And in fact, I'd have to say that, that I, well, I mean, I've, I saw very little. I, I never really stayed, stayed in L.A. You know, I had experiences with it, in it, enough so that I knew it was the, the climate and culture. 
but I'd have to say much more experience with San Diego and San Diego so much more relaxed than LA to me, um, even back then. But I, I was okay with it. And I, I don't have much recollection, as I think I stated in a previous show, the, the more sober I become, the less of the drunken times I remember, unfortunately. It's, it's like locking away a certain part of myself quite by accident. And once I was away for so long, I, I didn't go back. I went to San Diego a few times throughout this last couple of years, very infrequently. And it was, it was a lovely time, but never back to L.A. And now that I'm, I'm starting to get out more again with, with Four Culture Magazine and everything I'm doing, I decided to make more trips to Los Angeles because that's where it's happening. I happen to know my very, very fabulous gender gangster sister, Daria, who writes for us in For Culture and who actually did the photo shoot for me, much to my thanks and, and love and adoration when I went back the last weekend. And we had a fabulous time, but there's just something about... I mean, Los Angeles is like a clown car. You know, they, they just keep coming. <laughs> they just keep coming. They just keep going and going. You know, you think the last clown has exited the car, and then a dozen more come out. That is Los Angeles. You think that no one else could possibly fit in the space you're in. And in walk 24 more people. It's a very populated densely populated area, city upon city upon city. And there's something about that that now drives me absolutely mad as compared to before. First time that in a very black and white way, I feel my age has changed my outlook because I didn't think anything of the hordes and the traffic back then, it was there and, and there was a lot of it, but I coped in, in some certain way that, you know, I've never been a fan of people. I've never been a fan of, of going places with a lot of people. Everyone who knows me in these places will tell you that for sure. But there was something about it that I could deal with it, that it, it was there and it was okay. But my last two trips to Los Angeles had really driven me crazy in a way that, that it's like overwhelming. It's very overwhelming to see all these people. And I walked into a mall because Saturday or Friday, Daria and I went out and, and she really helped me see a lot of L.A. that, that I hadn't seen ever or, or for a very, very long time. And showed me the sights, and I got to really, thankfully as a passenger, <laughs> I got to observe the people again. And, you know, people are very calm. They're very calm about being around so many people. And that's really quite fascinating, because if you put someone like me, who is an outsider, who is not used to so many people, inside... They usually go crazy. And Saturday, I roamed the valley myself. All by myself. 
I went to the museum, the Getty, which I have not seen in forever. And I went to, uh, well, I, I tried, attempted to go to several places that I couldn't get to because it was Saturday in Los Angeles. And I pulled off of the whatever freeway, the who the hell cares, and got onto the Wilshire Boulevard. And I was sitting in traffic for 45 minutes, going three blocks. And the unfortunate thing is, I don't have a map with me. So I couldn't tell you, going that way on Wilshire, how I could get back without turning around. Surely it's uh, quite easy, since everybody's connected and every road leads right back to where you came from. But being that I did not have a map, I'm not a u user of, of GPS at all, but for some reason, since I haven't traveled in so long, I, I kind of, I just print the map, the little map out, you know? Remember back in the day, the true day, where you had a freaking book in your trunk and it was a map and you could use it? And even being able to have that in this day and age, it doesn't seem to work as well anymore. Even though you don't use GPS, even if you just use your mapping system, your, your books of maps, there's something about it that just doesn't, doesn't flow anymore. And I don't know why. I don't know why, because I, I was such a map lover. And, and I mean, I traveled this country when that's all that I had. All that most people had were just maps, like printed maps in, in stapled books, and that's how we got around. And now it's not that way. I mean, it's just never even struck me. I mean, I guess it's because I'm in these big cities and they change so much that I would be kind of even nervous about. I don't know. It's, I guess it is. It's living in cities that has made me kind of nervous about using terrestrial printed maps. Because I know cities now. I mean, I didn't know them then. That's the difference between then and now is I roamed into these cities with my little map book. <laughs> and I got around, and I figured it out. But West Coast mapping, it's like you never know if you're going to go down a one-way street or hit a dead end or, or something. You know, all these... You don't know where the construction is. It's kind of like technology has made us fearful of, of not knowing what's out there. Because, I mean, you pull it up on the mapping internet system, you can see, oh, there's construction here, and oh, that's actually a gated road or something ridiculous. I don't... I don't, don't trust the map. Maps lie. To quote, 45 minutes on Wilshire Boulevard. And then I turned around. <laughs> 45 minutes to come back and finally and, but that was a people study if ever there was one because I look around me I mean it is three to four lanes of packed bumper to bumper traffic and the looks on people's faces had this been an other city the looks on their faces 
would have shown disdain, disgust, impatience. But the people of Los Angeles sat in that traffic as if 45 minutes of their day going three blocks was not a big deal. Bravo to the people of Los Angeles. And Daria used the term, which I think hit it spot on. Apparently it's a term often used in Los Angeles, Carmageddon. And if there was ever a better place to use the word Carmageddon, it's Los Angeles, California. Everybody has a car, and there's a lot of people. And they're all going, seemingly, to the same place. It just makes, you know, it brings me right back to the zombies. (laughs) It's population overkill. And I don't want to be an advocate for population control, but Los Angeles does make one think a lot about population control. And there are other countries that do it, that cut back on the babies. And and I've heard a lot lately, a lot of ranting Americans actually kind of putting the smack down on people with, like, 25 children. And we've said it before on The Fabulous D Show, especially with Lola Jane, we've, we've gone down that road of what are you having another child for? And it's just building and building and building. And it's building these cities upon cities upon cities. When I leave Los Angeles, it feels, this is not technically correct, but it feels like it takes me an hour and a half to get out of Los Angeles. And I'm talking middle of the night, no traffic. And what I'm really meaning is, well, you know, you drive, you're out of Los Angeles, you're out of West Hollywood, you're out of Los Angeles, you're out of Burbank, you're out of all the way to Glen whatever, or that other place. It's all the same to me. You know, once you enter a city and, you know, it's like Las Vegas when I lived there and had, you know, they have the little towns around Las Vegas, just like Los Angeles. There's Los Angeles, but then there's all these other little towns around Los Angeles. But it might as well all be Los Angeles. It might always, might as well be Las Vegas. It might all, (laughs) Phoenix. I lived in Mesa, but it was Phoenix. I mean, the road, if, if you don't drive through a, a, a pasture, a space, a, a down a, a road with no homes, no buildings, no businesses, nothing but cows, from point A to B, you know, from one town to the other, this is what distincts, distincts? Yes. <laughs> this is what creates towns and cities in the mind of the artist D. You've got to go from place to place, and there's got to be space in between. If you drive from from Burbank to Hollywood, and there's still streets and stoplights, then you've never left Los Angeles. If you drive from Tempe, Arizona, to Phoenix, Arizona, and it's, the, it's just down the street with several traffic lights, it's, it's still Phoenix. It's all one city. So for me, it's like, okay, I'm leaving 
Los Angeles. I get in the car. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. And I'm driving. And I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm driving through a city. And all I see is city, 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 traffic lights, city. More city, more freeway. Hour and a half later, I have finally hit where there's nothing. It's just freeway, open roads, countryside, no buildings, nothing. That is when I truly feel like I've left L.A., which is like when I'm coming into L.A., you hit the city and you think, yes, I am here. <laughs> no, no, you're not there. You've got another hour to go through the city to the city to the city until you get to the city that is next to the shore where you wanted to be in the first place. There's a lot of population. And I see this. I have a, it's a very... It's a, it's a can of worms and it's very controversial and I want to talk about it because I went to the Getty Museum and I went to the museum and museums have art and culture in them and I wanted to talk about that specifically with you between you and me on the Fabulous D Show I am the artist D we will be back Hi, it's me, Frank Cotolo, and at this very moment, I'm listening to The Artist D. I'm dropping the F-bomb right now. Fabulous. There. Want to hear it again? Fabulous. There. Want to hear it again? Fabulous. There. Want to hear Okay, I was skipping. Fabulous D. Fabulousness. It's Funktastic on Transtastic.com. Well... It's not always about me, but I like to think it is. Juice Talk Radio, the downloadable, iPodable hub for amazing, delicious, juicy, insightful broadcasts. And I hope those people out there listening realize it ain't often you can get these three voices at the same exact time. <laughs> Frank Catolo's Catolo Chronicles. Well, I couldn't have said that better if I said it. Transistor by Velvet Steel. I see I have a bottle of white wine and I think I'll figure it out. And The Fabulous D Show by me, the artist D. I want to be a writer when I grow up. <laughs> really? Why? Because you have something to say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you think? Archived weekly for your listening pleasure. Drink your juice. I just want to get laid. Juice talk for the most intriguing shows based on art, sex, and opinion with an emphasis on quality of culture and sound at juicetalk.com. It's juicy. What does the future hold in store for you? Drink your juice. Give me a break. in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Radio. Join Skylar Hall and Bolo Cute Fox for a rousing round of music that spans the genres. It's hotspotradio.net Radio. He'll take listener requests and dish it all live on SRN1. It's hotspotradio.net live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. EST. Radio. <laughs> 
Hi, we are noblesse oblige. You're listening to Four Culture Radio. Take us with you wherever you go. Get Four Culture Radio with the TuneIn app. It's free, fabulous, and streaming. Download TuneIn to your smartphone or tablet and listen to our world from wherever you are. Visit TuneIn.com or find the app in your phone and tablet's app store. You're listening to Four Culture Radio at FourCulture.com. Our artist is fabulous. Welcome back to the Fabulous D Show broadcasting from Earth. It's the Fabulous D Show. I am the artist D, and we're on Four Culture Radio talking about Los Angeles, California, and populations. Population control. Because I went to the Getty. The Getty, for those of you who do not know, is a fabulous, fabulous museum located in Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles, for those of you who don't know, is, uh, you know, that's where Hollywood is. And I went to the Getty, and the Getty was created by Paul Getty. He was a oil tycoon fellow. Fascinating history I recommend you look into. He had the Getty Museum. It's an art museum. And I don't go to a lot of museums because most museums have boring art in them. And as you know, I am the artist D, and I am heavily involved in a little project called Four Culture Magazine where we unearth the art of the underground. And you don't usually see the art of the underground in museums, in my opinion. But the Getty is is a little bit more controversial. It's a little more... Uh, loose with their interests. Uh, their interests are very Californian, and that's something else. I'm, I'm, I was grown in the East Coast, and I'm used to a very East Coast museum. Uh, you know, the museums of, of Baltimore and Philadelphia, where they display a lot of boring productions, in my opinion. But West Coast museums, you know, it's a little more Contemporary. It's modern art, but not modern art. It had, you know, a lot of statues, a lot of sculptures. But there's something about the art in the Getty that made it very interesting. And I have to say, this is also another reflection upon age, because I think I'm looking at things a little differently now compared to when I was in a museum when I was like 16 years old, you know, and you're looking at a painting and you're like, boring, it's a painting. But now I look at things in context of where I am right now and where I am with Four Culture magazine. It's very important to me in my life right now to compare myself to history and I'm a very interesting creature and a very bizarre creature with interesting tastes and visions. And as we go along in this society, in this history, we feel more and more locked out of our mainstream culture. I am not supposed to be the way I am. I am not supposed to create the things that I'm creating, and I'm not supposed to say the things that I'm saying. And... It's very comforting to me to read and see, now, people back then, throughout the ages, 
have done the same thing that I am doing now. And that makes me not alone. At all. So to see a piece of art made back in, you know, 100 BC or, you know, we're talking back then, you know, when humans roamed the earth and they were kind of new. Not that we aren't still kind of new. But when humans were just starting to freshly roam the earth and their culture was starting to become somewhat modern, and they sculpted and they painted and they had this freedom to do so in these very not-so-free places, they were repressed, they were considered bizarre creatures. And to see these sculptures and paintings from back in that time, that really touches me now more than ever. Because I've been getting to feel very alone, very secluded, even though I I see that I am in very good company these days in the world of underground artists and underground production and truth and surrealism. I am not alone. But I guess I was feeling very alone in history. And that's why I like to read the books by people who are dead, because those people think like me and and act like me and, and have the same desires and the same creative juices as me, but they had them a very long time ago, generations and generations and generations ago. This somehow for some reason, makes me feel much better. So I went to the Getty, and the line was out the... Well, they didn't have a building. It's a very open-air type of deal, okay? So when you arrive, you you get to the garages, and you park your car after that line of of traffic. This was very early in the morning. And you get to to the top level, where you think... If you're just your average sheep out there, you think that you have to stand in line. Well, I don't stand in line very often. Call that what you will. But I do not stand in line, and I become very agitated doing so. So I stood in line, and I thought, there's got to be a better way. And mind you, I had no idea. I have not been to... Uh, this particular area before. I've seen the Getty, but I've not been to it. And actually, there's two. There's the, the villas, and then there's the Getty. And I've, I've known more of the villas than the Getty. You know, they're still named the Getty, and it's all very confusing. It's all very L.A., but I've not been to the actual Getty Getty. And that is actually on the hill. And what people were standing in line for was a tram to take them from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. So I saw this this pathway, <laughs> and I thought, let's see what's down the pathway, because I'm not going to stand in line. So I went down the pathway, and then I see a sign. Walking path. So apparently, you can walk 
20 to 30 minutes up a hill to the Getty Museum. Instead of standing in line like a, a, a freaking horse going to slaughter and get on a tram and ride your lazy ass up to the top of the hill. I know for some people they could not take a 30-minute walk uphill, but I am not some people at this time in my life. And if there is an, an out to walk, I will walk because, you know, I currently have legs and they currently work and I'm going to use them. So I decided to use them. And I walked to the top of the hill, 30 minutes. It actually took me about 15 to 20. Uh, you know, I, I did it like a trooper. I mean, some people are just strolling along. There were some other wise people on this trail, and they were just strolling along. And I got to the top, and I actually beat the first tram. All those people standing in line were still standing in line at the bottom of the line 20 minutes later. And I got to the top of the, the hill, and, and so did the tram. So you could wait in line for 45 minutes, gestating, or you could walk to the top of the hill, <laughs> get a little exercise, and enter the museum. It's a very open-air museum. It's very confusing at first. I had no idea what was going on. And I go in, and I'm looking at the displays, and I'm thinking, this is really interesting and I'm finding lots of odd art from way back when and really connecting with those things but I can't help but notice so many people so many tourists with their big gulps and their slurpees and their hush puppies uh, Homer Simpson t-shirts flip-flops just blasing along I mean, and this is where I get into the elitist bullshit that I cannot help get into because I am there. I have, you know, there's a tourist and then there is someone who's coming to see something who doesn't fall under tourism. I do not fall under tourism. I've never fallen, even when I was a kid and, and went places with my parents and my family the last thing that I wanted to do was enter a place that everybody else was. I was the kid who said, can't we crawl down that hole in the mountain and that crevice in the canyon and see what's down there where nobody's looking? Or, or you know, what about this area of, of this abandoned? Can't we see the abandoned houses? Why don't I have to go to a museum uh, or a wax museum? Or, you know, tour some famous person's house. I remember I went to see the, the Eisenhower house once. And it's like, well, this would be fun if like 300 people weren't also viewing it with me. What the hell good is it if you're viewing it with 300 other people? No, take me to the abandoned mill in, in like, you know, middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, where nobody has seen the light of that day. Show me that shit. Show me the important not on display shit. That's how I feel about museums. It's like, what else have you got back there that you haven't shown anyone yet? I want to see that. But then there's all these people and, you know, they're taking pictures of every single exhibit 
of every single piece of art. And all I could think of was because I come from that, that background and that lifestyle. It wasn't really in my family that much, but we did do that. You go on these vacations, and that's what these people are doing in Los Angeles in their flip-flops. They're taking a vacation, and they're going to the Getty Museum, and they're looking at painting after painting, and they're taking photo after photo. They're going to go home, and they're going to put it... They're gonna, well, they're going to go to CVS and print out all their photos and put them in an album and label them and bring them out at Christmas dinner and pass it around and say, you know, this is what we saw. I mean... I'm one, obviously, I'm one for documentation. Obviously, I love taking photos, and obviously, I love bragging about every freaking where that I've been and seen. And I love to pull out a good photo album, but it's never been about, you know, well, this is the, uh, you know, uh, Head of Zeus sculpture, and this was the um, Van Gogh painting that we saw, and um, this was the other painting by, you know, Donald Duck that we saw. You know, no, this is. This is me and my loved ones in front of the Getty Museum. Great. This is me on, on the tram walk <laughs> or the tram. This is me. Oh, great. You know, those are photos. Those are photos of documentating, documentating, documenting your trip as it is, you know. And all these people have no... I'm, I'm going to attack them with a wide brush. They have no sense or feeling. Well, where there's no sense, there's no feeling. And you can take a horse to water and he won't drink. You can take a horticulture and she won't think. It's there. You know, someone said to me while I was there and I was, I was talking to someone, you know, well, this is where the culture is. This is where people come to get, get their culture. And that's what these flip-flop-wearing bastards think, is that they come to these places and they will somehow uh, inherit, uh, assimilate the information and become cultured individuals. <laughs> cultured bastards, you know? And while I was in this museum, okay, and that's what I was feeling was these people are not admiring. I mean, they had tour guides there and they were showing groups of people certain things, keynotes throughout the museum. And they have that violet painting of Van Gogh's on display. It's flowers. I think it's violets. But there's, there's purple flowers, and there's a lot of green leaves, and they're flowers. And in this area, they had uh, in several, like, four rooms in a circle. And I viewed that room first, and I saw them talking about the painting to the group of people. And she was just going on and on and on about, it's Van Gogh, and these are the flowers, and wherever the inspiration of the flowers came from, and they're flowers. And I'm like, okay, I'd like to see it, because I, I do know the painting. It is famous. I wanted to look at the goddamn thing, but there were this, this horde of people standing in front of it gawking and taking photos at a million miles a minute. 
and and this woman just traveling on about it. So I figured, okay, let me go to the next room. I went to the next room. I looked at those paintings. I came back, and they're still there. I'm like, okay, well, let me just do the round. Okay, so I went to the other rooms. I viewed the other paintings. I come back. These people are still there, standing in front of these stupid flowers painted by Van Gogh. Lovely flowers. Lovely painting. Don't get me twisted. It's a great painting. But, I mean, it's not like it's... <laughs> it's not like it's something more than flowers. <laughs> and I don't mean to say that to insult flowers everywhere. I mean that you've painted flowers. And I paint trees. I, I wouldn't expect someone to stand there and stare at my fucking trees for 45 minutes talking about the color of the goddamn trees. I've painted trees. It's an interesting visual that really kind of, ooh, ah, yeah, it might pop for you or something, but okay. And, and especially these people with their Homer Simpson t-shirts and their flip-flops. They took a picture of it. They can move on because they got the frickin' picture and they saw it in real life. That's just how I feel about that certain thing. So I never did get to see the painting because she just kept going. And every time that I passed and I listened a little bit to her, she's talking about the colors. And she's saying how hard it was to recreate the purple of those flowers. And can you ever get that green? I mean, could you possibly get that green? Uh, who the fuck gives a shit about that green? Okay? I am the artist D. I have painted pictures. It is not one of my, in my personal humble opinion, best skills, but I, I have done so with acrylics, with water, with oil. And I know it's very difficult to mix colors. Dig it. Yes, if you mix more than a couple oils, you get mud. Got it. Very difficult to achieve painting. Yeah, lady, it is very difficult to achieve the colors in a painting. Have you looked at Salvador Dali lately? How the fuck did he do any of that? I still have no idea. And that's the way I'd like to keep it, because I know I could never do it. And that's what she was saying. You try to recreate those flowers. No, don't fucking try to recreate those flowers. You can't create those flowers because you're not fucking Van Gogh. Just like I can't recreate, like, drooping clocks because I'm not Salvador Dali. And I'm not going to try. Because I already know that I can't. Because I paint the way I paint. And you paint the way you paint. And anyone who paints using oils knows it is goddamn difficult to get a good color. As I left the Getty Museum and all those wonderful people behind walking back down the hill, I was thinking about elitism. Because on the way out of the Getty, well, I guess I was thinking about elitism throughout the entire Getty. But on the way out, there's a... a sculpture ahead, a bust of Paul Getty. And he looks like quite the socialite. That's why I went home and I read up on him. And he was, he was an oil investor, tycoon type dude. Lots of money. Tragic family tales there. But I pictured, as I walked down the hill, I was picturing Paul Getty holding a party 
at the Getty for all of his elite rich friends. Because there's a road from that tram site where the sheep get on. There's the road that you walk up, the, the road that I walked. It's actually a street. And you could tell that this was this is a usable street. And at the top of the street, it says something about parking. But, you know, there's so many people these days, they don't let them through this particular street. And I'm sure that parking lot would not, you know, fit what now the, the what, 12-level parking garage does. So I'm just picturing, because it's very elitist. You think there's this private museum on the hill and oil tycoon party the the private street you know you think about back in the days many days and i must apologize i don't even know when the getty came to be but just picture any type of situation like this in the 50s and the 60s even in the 40s where there was these rich people with these museums or collections. They just had collections. And that was where the Getty came from, was Paul Getty's collection. He was a collector of art and these exhibitions. And it became the Getty Museum, and and most of it was then donated at his death to the Getty as well. But think about the private parties that they had and, you know, he's a rich bastard and they're a rich bastard and we're going to Paul Getty's party tonight to see his Van Gogh that he uh, purchased in Europe or, or see his something-something from the Queen. The Queen gave him a gift or something, you know. And you went up this winding road, this private winding road, and you parked at the top and you went to this amazing home to see some rich bastard's private collection. And that was special. And it came to me on my walk that nothing is special because everyone wanted it. And everyone got it. When we had a very clear separation between the middle class and the upper class, the middle class had their own festivities and their own special specialness. But somewhere along the way, they all, lower middle and almost high class, wanted super high class. I mean, it's kind of like when Las Vegas switched from an amusement park theme to a rock star theme, because that's what everyone wanted. Everyone wants to feel like a rock star. Everyone wants to be famous. Everyone wants to be. And I think they really ruined it. And I say this knowing that I could be, if, if this vision were to be true, and we never got this opportunity, and all of these collections stayed private, I know that I could be secluding myself as well from this opportunity. I very well know, born into a mm, middle-class and slightly lower-class and impoverished areas, that I could very, very well have been 
pushed aside. I might never have been uh, anywhere near that class, and, and I may never have been invited to a private gallery among other private gallery people and, and got to be this snob, snobby upper echelon of people. I very well know that I could be completely damning the person that I am by saying so, but that's not where we are. It's simply an observation, which this show should count as simply an observation, that those fine pieces of art, those amazing creations, that while, yes, people deserve to see them, I don't know, there's something that was sapped out of it when everyone got to see them in person. You know, they were always in books, they were always in photos, they were always in schools in that era. But you didn't get to go and see them as much. And there's just something about, it's the steakhouse mentality. <laughs> this, is, this is going back to, to, the, to the first season, the, the Las Vegas days, because Los Angeles does remind me a lot of Las Vegas, and especially when I was there with Lola Jane, a.k.a. Charlotte Bukowski. And, you know, we talked about what the town had become from, from then to, to then, then to then, the old days to the new days, uh, you know, where there was, there was these venues, these shows in Las Vegas, steakhouses, restaurants, where you had to wear a tie. You had to be in a suit and a tie, and your lady had to dress like ladies were expected to dress. And you had to be classy, and the fur, and the diamonds, and the jewels, and you had to look a certain way. You may or may not have been able to afford it, but you at least could look that way and pay the price. And something happened, something really bad happened, when they started to let the t-shirt wearing, flip-flop, flopping folks into the $200-a-plate steakhouse, dressed as they were. Something happened to America when we allowed the dress code to drop, the standards to drop for the elitist events. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there right now shaking their head at me especially, but saying that's fairness, that's equality. And there was equality before that. But by everyone having to be a certain, uh, everyone having allowed, being allowed into all of these venues, being allowed into the exclusive museum, being allowed into the $200 a plate steakhouse, Everyone's welcome. Come on in. It did something to us. It made, and this is a very true point, outside of being an elitist bastard, making all of the special things available to everybody only made people find more special things to keep from everybody else. Because you can say that you want fairness and equality. You want, you know, let my people in. Let everyone in. You can say that. But at the end of the day, once you're in, 
usually you turn around and say, can't we just, I don't know, throttle the level of people in here? Are we letting everyone in? <laughs> what are we what are we letting those people in for? What are we letting, you know, then then people start to say, you know, we need to build another club. Then then they make it's like the the gay groups, the transgender groups, you know, let everyone in and then oh, well, you're not that kind of transgendered person. You're not that kind of gay. You know, this is a club for bears only. This is a club for twinks only. This is a club for gender queers only. This is this is the the transgender club where you get to wear your finest. Uh, not, uh huh. There's a dress code. You know, there's there's these these things that we've. You know, it's only made more elitism. The the knocking down of the standard elite has only created more elite. Because now there are other exclusive parties viewing other people's exclusive collections that we don't hear about because they're exclusive and they're locking us out. And you know what? That's fucking fine. Because there needs to be private parties. I think there does need to be private parties. I think we need private clubs. I think we need a little bit of time away from other people. I'm not saying that we are banning them. I'm not saying we are hating them. And I think that's the important thing and where people get confused that just because you're not allowed in this club means that we hate you. No. Just because I'm not allowed in a club doesn't mean those people hate me. It means that, that I'm not allowed in that club, for whatever reason that might be. It makes no sense. I understand. But it's what I thought as I rolled down the hill, thinking about Paul Getty's private parties at his private mansion, and how wonderful it must have been to be an animal in that day and age of that particular class. I am the artist D, classless and full of class, to the very end. This is the Fabulous D Show. Remember, you can find us on 4Culture Radio, and everything is downloadable, iPodable, until forbid, on thefabulousdshow.com. Go there for all of our seasons and all of our fabulous interviews. More fabulous interviews to come, if they allow me to stay on the air. Mm. This is The Artist D, and I thank you for joining me. I thank Derek Bishop for our theme song, as always, and you for being here in my club, The Fabulous Club. Until next time, please remain fabulous, but don't remain seated. Good night.